Hey, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 18th of January, 2024. We're meeting out. We're going to a third. We're meeting out. Am I drunk? No. Seems like it. But I am uh, getting into a Thursday, and Thursday leads to Friday. And so, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit mentally drunk. Drunk on power, damn it. Drunk on power. Uh, speaking of power, don't forget about the powerful Bo Snerdly. Uh, his book is up for grabs at patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. It is uh, Rush on the Radio, autographed by the one and only James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, and you can win it. You don't even have to, like, people are entering and writing comments like, oh, pick me, pick, I not, I don't pick. It's a drawing. It's a random drawing. You get entered into the drawing when you, um, enter when you do it so it is uh, when you sign up when you comment on the post so it's it's not like I, I, you got to make a big plea to me it doesn't help it's i enjoy reading it and i wish you well and i f- actually it makes me feel bad a little bit that i can't give one to everybody but it is you know it's it it doesn't make a difference you can't you can't you know convince your way to the lottery person drawing your na- numbers and you can't convince your way to me drawing your name it's just a, a drawing it's names in a hat literally in a baseball hat in the university of michigan wolverines baseball hat so there you go anyway let us get on with the program we've got a, a lot going on a bunch of things to talk i want to start off with something that I find absolutely hilarious. The vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, one of the the politician out there that makes Joe Biden look popular, the politician out there that makes Joe Biden look competent. It's a real skill if you really get down to it, because I'm not sure anybody could reanimate Joe Biden the way that Kamala Harris does. She is the ultimate insurance policy that the Democrats don't dump Joe. Because if the de- look, think of it this way: the Democrats live in the cesspool swamp of identity politics. It's all about your skin color. It's all about your your gender, your um, gender identity. Now, whatever your sexual orientation, everything you got there, everything except for who you are as a person. That doesn't really matter. I guess you know the hive mind. There isn't much deviation there, but it is all about this. It is all about that. Well, they've got a black woman and an Asian woman, even though it's Indian. You don't really think of India as part of Asia. But they say, oh, we've got uh, this. She's so historic. The first woman, the first woman of color, the first black woman, the first Indian woman. She's she's four or five things in one when they need her to be. They ignore what she is when it's inconvenient. So she's talking to a certain group of people. She's a black woman. She's talking to another group of people. She's an Asian woman. Uh, she's talking to just another group of women and uh, just a woman. They never mention the fact that her ancestors, her great, I think four greats ago, was the biggest slave trader in the entire Caribbean. They don't mention that. Because to mention that would be then to acknowledge that there were people who were off-white in the slave trade too. That's why they never talk about how the slave trade originated, how the slave trade, who was collecting the slaves 
inside of Africa. Uh, it was warring tribes and slavery existed long before evil Whitey came along in Africa. They never mention that because it's wildly inconvenient. And so you just ignore it. But anyway, I'm straying. Kamala Harris is going out on campaign events because Joe can't. Let's just be honest. Kamala isn't giving campaign speeches because Joe can't, because nobody, literally nobody wants to see Cam- Kamala Harris give a speech. She's She laughs at her own jokes. She's insufferable. So they're sending her out to do photo ops and things like that. ABC News caught up with her. See, the, the, when you're in the White House, there's a mix between is this a campaign event or is this an official event? And they try to, well, they game the system. Everybody games the system. If you're flying to Denver for a campaign event, when you schedule that campaign event, you say, all right, why don't we schedule something for that day? at a factory or something we can highlight find something the federal government is doing we'll go to the factory as the president not as a campaigner not as a candidate the president will give a speech highlighting local business whatever it is and then we'll go to the fundraiser we'll go to the rally we'll go to this we'll go to that that way we the taxpayer get to foot the bill for that isn't that nice that not the whole trip the gas technically from the official event to the campaign event supposed to pay for the security at the campaign event the campaign is supposed to pay for but the biggest expense the hotel and the travel the use of air force one or two depending on which person it is that's all picked up for by we the taxpayer why because they were going there on official government business and you sit there and you think what What kind of government business was conducted by the president of the United States reading a speech about a government contract that just came through for some business or whatever? Nothing, really. There's no real government business. All you're doing is highlighting something. I suppose you could argue that you're using the bully pulpit and drawing attention to and whatever the hell else it is that they claim. But ultimately, it is meaningless. It is not an essential government business. It's nothing that couldn't be done by decree or press release in written form from Washington, D.C. But if you do that, you can't be there for the campaign fundraiser, for the campaign event. You can't be there for that. Or if you're going to California, stop in Denver. You find ways to officialize legs of your trip so you don't have to pay for all of it out of campaign funds. You get to shuck it off on the the taxpayers. We get screwed. All the while, they're campaigning on making sure that they protect us. Well, the only people we need protection from, realistically, is them. And they offer no protection from them. Anyway, Kamala Harris was talking to ABC News. ABC News brought up the age of Joe Biden and this, not really directly the senility of Joe Biden. And Kamala is such a horrible liar. She said Joe Biden is super smart. There's nobody, like Fredo is smart. That's how you, I'm smart. That's how Joe Biden is smart. There is literally nobody who worked in the United States Senate that I ever spoke to who were his peers, meaning the senators. And I've probably had conversations with, well, at least 10 of them and more. More were around about various people, and they either made snide comments about Joe or the ones I was closer to asked directly about him 
And uh, he is not, he was not a well-regarded intellect. He was not a well-regarded person of character. People thought very little of him. They thought he was dumb. They thought he was, um, they didn't necessarily go with corrupt, but they thought that he was, he went whichever way the wind blows. It didn't matter. It was politically expedient. You can do that when you have no core beliefs. But Kamala thinks that, no, he's super smart. He can see around corners. He can, he's got superpowers. He's wonderful. And at the end here, she talks about people applauding her when she enters a room. Pay particular attention to that because I want to uh, follow up on that after we hear it. You obviously can't change the president's age. So what is your plan to try and change this perception? How well, do you do that? I'll tell you the reality of it is, and I spent a lot of time with President Biden, be it in the Oval Office, in the Situation Room, and other places. Uh, he is extraordinarily smart. He has the ability to see around the corner in terms of what might be the challenges we face as a nation or globally. But it doesn't seem that that's getting out and resonating with Americans, with a lot of your supporters. How do you cut through that and make sure that they're seeing the Joe Biden that you were just describing? Well, I mean, listen, you've, you're here with me in South Carolina. You saw every room we went in, the numbers of people who are there applauding quite loudly. And they're applauding for me and they're applauding for Joe Biden. I'm not, I'm smart. I'm not dumb like they say. I'm smart. He's super smart. Smart people don't have to tell you they're smart. Funny people don't have to tell you they're funny. Good-looking people don't have to tell you they're good-looking. Honest people don't have to tell you how honest they are. In fact, the more people insist that they are any of those things, the less likely they are to be any of them. But it is really hilarious that she's like, well, uh, how do you combat that? Well, you can see I go into rooms and people applaud. Ladies and gentlemen, I know how this works. You can't get in the room with the vice president of the United States or the president of the United States without being pre-screened. They know where you're coming from. You are on board. She's not accidentally going to stumble into a meeting of the young Republicans. That's not going to happen. Although, honestly, the young Republicans would probably, out of politeness, applaud a little bit. They might then get a little raucous, but they will applaud a little bit. Because, hey, the vice president of the United States, you respect the office. But the people that she goes in, and the B-roll of this, it's in my Twitter feed. You can find it if you want to see it, uh, or you just take my word for it. But trust but verify. The B-roll of this is her doing grip and grins and her doing little meet and greets. You don't get into, if you're going to be in, here, if you've ever taken a tour of the White House, you go to the public tour of the White House, they check your ID, they, you know, make sure that you're not, don't have any warrants or whatever. That's just the public areas of the White House. When I've done West Wing tour, you have to give your social security number, your date of birth, they run, and other events where I've attended where a president has been, they run you if you're close. Now, if you're in the crowd, not really, but... They'll run you if you're going to be anywhere near anything and make sure that you are who you say you are. They'll do uh, see you no know, red flags come up. Coming to the public tours is a little, there's a little bit of a background thing. Just make sure there's no active warrants on you. But if you're going to be anywhere in the proximity of the president or the vice president, 
or really anybody under direct Secret Service control, uh, world leader-wise, they will run you, make sure that you are safe. So the people in the room with Kamala Harris have been run, have been safe. They have been chosen, more than likely. She's there for campaign events. The campaign is not going to put her in front of a group of people who really hate Kamala Harris. They're going to reward campaign workers. They're going to reward dedicated donors. They are going to put them in front of union workers who where the union has endorsed, and then the union picks the most dedicated to go and, and be a human prop at these events. So for her to sit there and say, every room I go into, they're applauding me. Well, what are they supposed to do? They're screened. You would prefer they'd spit on you? I mean, maybe I would. No, that'd be terrible. But uh, it's just hilarious that that's the best that they could come up with. And that tells you how worried, how desperate, how concerned, everything. They are and they should be because that is of all the units of measure you could pick when you're making them up. Granted, Kamala isn't all that quick on her feet, but to choose that people applaud when you enter the room, when your campaign and your staff picks who's in the room is just a, it's like bragging that you had sex at a at a brothel. It's it's kind of a foregone conclusion, I would think. Right. And this is this is the Democratic Party. This is Kamala Harris. You can see why they keep her around. She makes Joe look good. And that ain't easy to do. Camo's delusion about, oh, everywhere I go, every room I get into, people applaud me, is the Pauline Kael delusion. Now, you don't, if you don't know who Pauline Kael was, she was a film critic for the New York Times back in the 60s, 70s, maybe as far back as the 50s. I don't know. She's a very famous um, film critic. And she is credited with saying... Now, it's probably a bit apocryphal, apocryphal, but she probably said something similar to it. That after Nixon got reelected in 72, she's famously, I think it was 72. It might have been 68, but she said, I don't know how Nixon got elected. I don't know anybody who voted for him. Just the perfect encapsulation of the bunker mindset of the left. I don't know anybody. Well, geez, you mean on the Upper East Side or West Side or whatever the hell it was of Manhattan, you don't know anybody who voted for a Republican and therefore you can't fathom that there are other people in the world who exist who would dare disagree with you? It caught you by surprise? I don't know if Pauline Kale, there's a lot of people who claim that Pauline Kale didn't say that. Or she maybe said something similar, but it was blown up and twisted over time. Whatever it is, the it's one of those situations where the myth is useful. Not to attack Pauline Kael, because nobody knows remembers who the hell Pauline Kael was. But because the story is the perfect sort of uh, way to put people who live in a world of their own construction. You can create... Whatever world, especially now with social media, if you just want to have information fed to you that you dis, that you agree with, that reinforces whatever beliefs you already come to the table with, you can do that. You can set up your Twitter account, your Facebook account, your TikTok account, your Instagram account to follow people who will feed you 
whatever it is you desperately need and keep out whatever it is you can't stand. The left does this all the time. It's amazing to me when I find out I'm blocked by somebody on Twitter that I've never either heard of or followed or commented on or anything, even actors. John Cusack, big leftist. I love John Cusack movies, most of them, well, a lot of them. Say Anything is great. Better Off Dead is one of my all-time favorites. As he got older, a little bit more ridiculous. I do enjoy 2012 because it's so insane. But, it, you know, it's, his romantic comedies kind of started to suck. But I've always been a fan. Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity are great movies, some of my favorites. I don't know that I've ever interacted with him. And if I did, it was fairly innocuous on Twitter, but he's blocked me. Tommy Stinson, the bass player from The Replacements Guy, is a bass player in a rock band since he's the age of 12. Never once did it even occur to me to look up Tommy Stinson and see if he's even on Twitter. Somebody points out to me Tommy Stinson's on Twitter. I go, oh, Tommy Stinson, click on that, and I'm blocked by him. Because these people are leftists. There are lists. There is no such list that I'm aware of on the right for people to proactively block people who give, quote unquote, unsafe opinions, who will say things, trigger warning accounts, whatever. They're, they're just, it doesn't exist. If it did exist, I would have gotten it. And if I'd have gotten it, if somebody would have sent it to me, say, hey, you can avoid a lot of headaches if you uh, block everybody on this list. Here's a fast and easy way to mass block dozens and dozens of accounts. I would have immediately exposed it and I would have immediately called out everybody that I knew, whoever sent it to me as a fool, as an idiot, as a coward, as a whatever. So people on the right don't try those sorts of things. They just don't. We actually are perfectly content to defend that what we, which we believe. The left can't. The second somebody disagrees with them, they stick their fingers in their ear and they go, la, 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 la. They find out that somebody who disagrees with them is coming to a college campus to a voluntary event. You don't have to attend. Nobody's being forced to attend. It's a voluntary event, and somebody will be speaking something they dislike. There's going to be somebody speaking on behalf of support for Israel. We must shut it down. They will circle the building. They will make bomb threats. They will attack police. They will smash windows. If there's a Starbucks nearby, they're going to have to activate their insurance plan. It becomes a complete and total disaster. Why? Because they do not like the idea of somebody with whom they disagree speaking anywhere existing. Ultimately, they just haven't been in a position yet to do anything about the existing part. God forbid they ever do. It's a different world. So yeah, Kamala Harris can construct, and the people around Kamala, maybe she doesn't even know, can construct a world in which nobody, everybody loves her. I don't understand it. Be completely and totally blindsided. If you, There's a story out of uh, the 2004 election about John Kerry when he lost Ohio. They really didn't believe that he'd lost Ohio. They really could not believe that they lost Ohio. They would not accept that they lost Ohio. They lost Ohio by a lot. Not a ton, but I mean enough that it was like it shouldn't have surprised anybody. They just had the polling data. They had built up this world where everybody's reinforcing, you're going to win Ohio. You're going to win Ohio. Oh, you're going to win Ohio. Hey, it's going to be great. You're going to win Ohio. You're going to win the presidency. And they lost Ohio. And it all went to hell. 
And that Mitt Romney Netflix documentary, the same sort of thing happened with Ohio when the wheels started coming off. Their polling data thought they had a really good chance of beating Barack Obama. They could have. If he had actually continued the campaign that he did in the first debate, he might have. But he didn't. But you could watch them going, wait a second, this isn't how it's supposed to go because they've only heard what they want, what staff thought they wanted to hear. Staff only told them what staff thought they only wanted to hear. That's really all well. So many celebrities are like this, where they're just surrounded by butt-kissing yes people. Reality has a funny way of smacking you upside the head, whether you're ready for it or not, whether you like it or not, no matter how insulated you are. Sooner or later, reality gets through. So I'm going to bookmark this clip of Kamala going, everybody loves me, everybody applauds, everybody. We'll see what happens come November. But I just, uh, I find it very, very amusing watching these people construct their own little safe spaces in real time. Since we're talking about the uh, Biden-Harris campaign and the wheels, Joe Biden, I'm not even going to play it, but Joe Biden released a weird 12-second video on his Twitter account yesterday. And you had to imagine they used the best take. And they had all day. Joe Biden had nothing on his schedule yesterday. It's It's good to be the president, man. Are you going to retire or are you going to run for president? Yes. Um, it's video of him sitting in, in the White House and he's got a, he's up at a desk. And said, oh, I'm the only person to beat Joe, Donald Trump and I'm looking forward to doing it again. I'm like, okay, are you going to make a case for yourself at all? And he can't. He just can't. And he can't even leave the house. Like this sad guy staring out the windows going, I used to be able to play in the snow and now he can't. Now he can't. Uh, But they have campaign surrogates. They have campaign spokesmen. They're really getting geared up. For people who are hoping that Joe Biden would drop out of the race or thinking that Joe Biden would drop out of the race, the, the Democrats, maybe he will. You never know. Nature has a funny way of making decisions for people. But if you're thinking that at some point Joe is going to wise up and go for the good of the party, he doesn't care about the good of the party. You know, we're all screwed because he's the president of the United States who only cares about himself. But the Democrats are doubly screwed because he's the leader of the Democratic Party who only gives a damn about himself. They can't really get rid of him. They toss him. They got Kamala. She's the ultimate insurance policy. If they don't go to Kamala, if they toss him and don't go to Kamala, they have upset their whole identity politics infrastructure if, because the only other person sitting there waiting, ready to go is Gavin Newsom out in California. And he's a rich, straight white dude. Yuck. They can't go to that, especially by hopping over a black woman and an Asian woman. And just a woman. So it's uh, it's fun to watch. So Joe is like releasing these videos where he's like, I beat uh, Donald Trump. And now I'm looking forward to doing it again. You're like, wow. Of the 15 takes that they did of this thing, this was the best they did. This was the best they could get. They couldn't even get Hunter down from the residence. They just give him a little bump of blow. Give him a little bit of energy. Get him through the next 20 minutes. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. No. But to do the work of the candidate, 
Since the candidate can't do the work, they're not only sending out the vice president, they are starting to send out campaign spokespeople. You have to call them spokespeople. You have no idea whether they're men or women and what they identify as or whatever. It's weird. Um, when it comes to abortion, everybody everybody on the left is a gynecologist. They're like, well, you must protect women. We must protect women. And then you go, all right, you're protecting women. Congratulations. What's a woman? Uh, I don't know. So wait a second. You're running around burning a lot of calories because you've got to protect women, but you don't know what you're – do you find yourself randomly protecting like trees and light posts and just random fire hydrants or something? Since you don't know what a woman is, do you often find yourself protecting a large bearded man from something? No, no, no. It's weird. Under certain circumstances, they all become Bill Clinton. Who never once got confused about what a woman was. There's no, there's no dude out there saying. And then Bill just grabbed me, and forced me, and kissed me, and said, "Hey, man, uh, look, my pants fell." Never happens with a dude. It's weird. But you, you, you're not allowed to know what a woman is. You're not allowed to talk about it. They sent out, uh, and what's weird and a sign of desperation is they sent out somebody to Fox News. Yesterday on Brett Baer's show, they sent out the deputy campaign spokesman, a guy named Quentin Folks, and he was asked about the border. You want to talk about the power of denial. You want to talk about the ability to put on blinders and the ability to just look people in the eye and lie. And that's what you need these days in politics in general, but in democratic politics in particular, especially in this administration. You're about to hear somebody who, I don't know, it, uh, he probably had to be shuddering in his boots about being struck down by lightning or something like that, just be, or his pants spontaneously catching on fire. Because everything he says here is a straight-up lie. And he's used to MSNBC and CNN and having those lies sort of parroted, the question is usually based on the lie. So lying in the response is perfectly acceptable. But Brett Baer asks a reality-based question. His answer, Quentin Folks's answer, is nowhere near based in reality. And so Brett Baer brings that up. Now, Quentin handles it pretty well. But you can see why Joe Biden doesn't do interviews with anybody who might ask him a critical question, because there's no way in God's green earth he would have been able to handle it this way. However, independents and Democrats now list immigration high on the on their list as well of issues that are important to them. They do call it a crisis. The president does not. Either does the Department of Homeland Security secretary. And if you look at the Trump administration time handling the border versus what the Biden administration is doing with the border and the policies that they've changed, it seems like a weakness for the campaign. Well, first of all, Brett, what I would say about uh, immigration is that we have to look back. Donald Trump had four years. Uh, to do something on the border, um, and he did nothing. Um, and then right now what we have, uh, in fact, Donald Trump put uh, immigrants in cages. He separated families, worked at the president. Joe Biden has gotten to work okay. still putting those families back together. 
But when it comes to Hold on, immigration, wait a second. You're not saying that the, the situation in immigration and the border is better under the Biden administration than it is under the Trump administration? Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying to you is that President Biden took office, uh, sent a comprehensive immigration reform package to Congress. They have refused to pass it or do anything on it. They are grandstanding Quentin, and Quentin, playing political games. He switched remain in Mexico. Issue. Remain in Mexico policy, he flipped. Uh, release, catch and release, he flipped. Uh, he changed Donald, the border Donald Trump situation. Rounded up, Donald Trump rounded up immigrants, separated families, and put them in cages. That's not how we treat human There are beings. more kids Biden, in custody Biden. under the Biden administration than there were under the Trump administration. Do you President know that? Biden. And so, listen, you have to concede that immigration is a vulnerability for the Biden campaign. Can't you concede look, that? What, look, what we concede is that President Biden is working on this issue and that Republicans in the House are playing political games and doing Donald Trump's bidding so that no real results get done. Yeah, no, no, no. He's not prepared. for this. Joe Biden would not be able to handle this. Things, uh, Joe Biden came in and he immediately sent a bill to Congress. Yeah, it was an unacceptable bill. I love this assumption that leftists always have, and it's only a one-way street. A president comes in and Congress is supposed to do their will. President, new president, he wants comprehensive immigration reform, which is code for amnesty and a pathway to citizenship for all the illegals. And, they say, and Congress has refused to act on it, which is them saying Congress has refused to pass it. But Congress is under no obligation to pass anything. No is an acceptable answer from Congress. No is, in fact, oftentimes the best answer from Congress. They don't owe the president. Oh, the president wants this, so we've got to give it to them. How many pieces of legislation did Donald Trump get passed by Democrats simply because he wanted it? He demanded Congress act. George W. Bush. How many pieces of legislation were passed under George W. Bush by Democrats because George W. Bush insisted that he wanted it done. None. Can you name any? None. In fact, Republicans didn't even really make the argument because it's such a stupid argument. And if a Republican isn't willing to make an argument, it's got to be an incredibly stupid argument. To sit there and say, well, we've given this. Congress refuses to act. Congress refusing to act is Congress acting. We don't have a broken immigration system. We have a broken enforcement system. We have a broken executive branch that is looking at the entirety of the immigration system and saying, we're not going to enforce this part. We're not going to work under this part. We're going to ignore this part. In fact, in this other part, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to look at the plain language of asylum law that states unequivocally that if you are seeking asylum, you are legally obligated in international law to do so in the first safe country you come to. And we're going to look at people who have traveled from all around the world and traveled through dozens and dozens of countries only to end up at our southern border because it's wide open, thanks to this guy. And we're going to say, Okay, we have to process their asylum claims. No, we don't. They don't have legitimate asylum claims. These are not people fleeing for their lives. These are people coming here for whatever reason. I don't care what their reason is. It could be as simple as they want a better life. It could be as simple as as easy as the cartels are sending them up here to be enforcers for the people. See, you sit there and you think, well, the cartels are getting rich 
off of the human smuggling. They are. All the illegals who have the five, seven, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, to pay up front to get smuggled into the United States, they pay that money to get smuggled into the United States. The cartels get that money. But more often than not, people don't have that kind of money. So they come here on the drip, as the British would say. They come here on credit. And they put up these illegals in homes where a whole bunch of them live. And they get to work off the money that they owe the cartels. And you don't get to skip out. You don't have to pay your Discover card every month. And you might damage your credit a little bit. But if you don't pay the cartels or do what the cartels want, you're going to end up dead somewhere. So you live in this circumstance. And guess what? You have to pay rent. So not only do you owe the thousands of dollars already that you have to work off, you have to pay rent, which adds to the money. And each month you work and you go deeper in debt. How is it? Like that old song, another day older and deeper in debt, except it's to the cartels. They set it up like some cults do. They get you, come on in, take a class. You can't afford the class, don't worry, you can work here to do this. More classes, more debt, more indentured servitude to the cult, and sooner or later you're brainwashed and you're stuck in there. With the cartels, you don't get brainwashed, but you recognize that if you step out of line, they'll kill you. There are 50 people to replace you with, and human life means nothing to these people. So what do they care? And what do you end up with? You end up with a permanent underclass, indentured servitude, just this side of slavery where people are scared to death to run away, to get away. They can't go to the police. They'll, they'll get killed. Maybe they get to the police. Maybe they get some protection. But how many times have you heard stories out of whatever major city you're near? Here, you hear them in Baltimore all the time where witnesses, people who are helping, they get killed. Those aren't international terrorist drug organizations doing it. Oftentimes, it's just some dude standing on a corner who doesn't like the fact that you turned on him. You dimed him to the police. When you're dealing with a network, a nationwide, hemisphere-wide at a minimum, network of a criminal organization, of criminal organizations... What chance do you think you have if some local cop is going to say, all right, well, don't worry. We'll drive past your house once a night and make sure you haven't been set on fire. You going to believe that? You're in this country illegally and you're essentially a wholly owned subsidiary of the cartels. That doesn't get covered nearly as much as it should in the media, if at all. You may have never heard it before. But there are so many people coming across the southern border. Do you really believe that they all had $10,000 in cash laying around to be able to make that trip? Hell no. They did it. And they did it because they're like, well, you come here. We'll get you up there. We'll get you in. You just have to do some work for us for a while until you pay us back the money you owe us. It sounds perfectly reasonable. But the juice runs on that money. And the rent that you have to pay in the house that they put you in. And the cost for the food, it just keeps adding up. You are chattel. You are irrelevant. 
They'll work you to, maybe you can get away. Maybe there are just so many people they don't really care. It's not worth going to track people down. But God forbid they ever find you. They might not launch a nationwide manhunt for you, but if they ever come across you, there's probably a, a small reward on your head. Somebody will come across someone and all go sideways. Democrats are unbothered by this permanent underclass they're making, the same way they're unbothered by the permanent underclass they're creating by telling legal immigrants and illegal aliens and everybody in this country who comes in, don't assimilate. You don't have to learn the language. You don't have to embrace cultural diversity. Celebrate diversity. Do this. Okay, if you can't communicate, if you don't learn English, you will never get ahead in this country. You just won't if you don't learn to communicate. Now, being bilingual, that'll help you. But not being able to speak in English will not help you. It will hinder you. You will be screwed over. They don't care. They actually care. They, they do it on purpose. None of this is by accident. They're not oblivious to these things. They're indifferent to them. There is a difference between those words. It's an important difference. And if you pay attention to what they do and what they say, you will spot it plain as day. It will also help you make the argument against these people to others. It's just one of those damn things where you sit there and you go, well, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? Because it's not Congress is refusing to act. It's the White House refusing to enforce the law. So Congress is under no obligation to do the president's bidding. The president is constitutionally obligated, or at least should be, to enforce the laws of the United States of America. That's kind of part of the oath that uh, they swear on Inauguration Day. This guy is a complete dereliction of duty. He should be impeached because of it. Unfortunately, we barely have any Republicans who can articulate anything close to what I just told you. It's why everything is on the line this November. It really is. I don't know that we can survive another four years of this clown, but of this clown's philosophy more than that. Looking at what else is going on in the world, I um, it's I talked about this the other day, but there's more information, and there always is more information. The electric car debacle. The problems with electric cars is that, you know, you need electricity for them. Batteries don't work super well in the cold. If you don't have a garage, you're kind of screwed when it comes to your electric vehicle. You park it out on the street. It needs to be plugged in. Running an extension cord out to it might be, you know, might help a little bit. But depending on how cold it is, those batteries don't really work all that well in the cold. So they have to use some of their energy to heat themselves up so they don't go dead. Common sense, as it's cold right now across huge chunks of the United States. Remember, this is what they don't tell you when the government is extolling the virtues of the car, right? It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, the story is hilarious now. The uh, right here, Associated Press, with temp Chicago temperatures sinking below zero, electric vehicle charging stations have become scenes of desperation. Depleted batteries 
confrontational drivers and lanes stretching out into the street. Quote, when it's cold like this, cars aren't functioning well, chargers aren't functioning well, and people don't function so well either, said Javier Spencer, an Uber driver who said that he had done little else in the last three days besides charge his rented Chevy Bolt and worry about being stranded with a dead battery again. Mr. Spencer, 27, he's right in that sweet spot where he grew up being indoctrinated into thinking, well, you're going to save the world or you're going to kill the world. There's only two choices here. And he decided to, quote, save the world by going electric. Mr. Spencer, 27, said he set out on Sunday for a charging station within 30 miles or with 30 miles left on his battery. Within minutes, the battery was dead. He had to have the car towed to the station. Quote, when I finally plugged it in, it wasn't getting any charge, he said. Recharging the battery, which usually takes Mr. Spencer an hour, took five hours. Well, who doesn't have that kind of time for the planet? I mean, come on, kids. With more people owning electric vehicles than ever before, cold snaps this winter have created headaches for electric vehicle owners as freezing temperatures drain batteries and reduce driving range. Do they tell you that when you go to the dealership? I don't think they do. I think they they give you a whole bunch of other crap. You're saving the planet. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. There's a story from Axios, how freezing temperatures are affecting electric vehicles. Again, a public service announcement more so than anything else. You're welcome, hippie, if you haven't bought one yet. Uh, buy a gas car. The electric vehicle drivers are reporting trouble charging their cars as an Arctic blast sweeps much of the U.S. I, it always amazes me that these people are surprised by weather. We have seasons. Now, if you've lived your whole life in Florida, Alabama, Texas, Georgia, along the Gulf Coast in the southern part of the states or just closer to the equator, the concept of seasons is probably foreign to you and it would be understandable. But most people don't. Most people are aware of these things. And even if you're unaware of them from personal experience, you've likely seen a movie where there's snow. And it's highly, maybe the first time you saw it, you thought and asked somebody, what is that white stuff coming? Is Hunter Biden partying on the roof of a building nearby and all his coke is being thrown down in the ground below? I don't understand. Is somebody trying to bake cookies and accidentally turned on a fan and blew all this white stuff? To, what is that? Somebody trying to make instant mashed potatoes and it just went horribly wrong as they tried to open the box? No, you're aware that it gets cold for a good chunk of the year because, like, say, in southern Texas or Florida, it goes from oppressively, annoyingly hot to just annoyingly hot for a while. That's winter down there. For the rest of the country, winter happens and it gets very cold. And if you're shocked by this and you're shocked by the problem with batteries in the cold, you've never paid attention. You've never seen a car commercial or a battery for a battery company. You see these TV commercials all the time or used to, you don't see them as much anymore. Batteries seem to, they used to be designed to last for 10 years. Now they're designed to last for like two or three years. And everybody just kind of accepts that. Like, ah, battery, I got to get a new battery. Just a regular for a regular car because there's so much electronic junk draining power off of it that they rip it down. But every time you've ever seen a diehard, it's set in winter. Nobody's looking for a jump in a TV commercial for their car 
at the beach and they're rocking Bermuda shorts and carrying their surfboard. And somebody says, hey, you got any jumper cables? No. Back in the day, they're like, what the hell are jumper cables? Why would I need jumper cables? Because it was really a major problem. It happened, obviously, batteries go. But it was a bigger problem in the places where it was cold because not because the battery's like mad that it's not seeing chicks in bikinis. It's because the battery dies in the winter a hell of a lot easier and faster than it does in the warm. So an Arctic blast, that's what happens in winter. It's, it drives me nuts. So not only does the charge take longer in freezing temperatures, some electric vehicle owners are surprised to find how, uh, find out how much their car's driving range is compromised by winter weather. Again, this is not something that they tell you when you go to buy a car. Why would they? You go at the uh, the BMW dealership, they're like, oh, it's going to be great. It's a great car, gets great mileage. Every once in a while, it'll just catch on fire. But, you know, don't worry. They wouldn't tell you, not that BMWs catch on fire, but if there was this problem, they're not going to tell you that. It has a tendency to uh, just lose the oil plug and seize up. You know, but as long as you pay attention to the oil plug, you're fine. Nobody's going to tell you that. There are certain things. And by the way, you have to change it. I, I love getting the stories of people, and I've, I've heard an alarming number of them, of people who had no idea you had to change the oil. No idea you ever had to change the oil, and they drive new cars into the ground, and they destroy them, and they're like, what? Like, you're just, you're stupid. Your lucky breathing is a reflex. All right, it's, it's, you would you would forget to do it, and you'd suffocate while sitting in your lounge chair. <sighs> Long lines, as you said, blah blah blah. Tesla driver Brandon Wellborn told CBS News that the charge would take uh, that should take forty five minutes is now taking two hours. I've been here for over five hours at this point. I still have not gotten to charge my car. While all cars are less efficient in the cold, electric vehicles are impacted more because the energy it takes to both power the vehicle and warm the cabin lowers its driving range, according to analyst analysis firm Recurrent. A recurrent analysis of 18 popular EV models found that on average, their range dropped to around 70% in freezing conditions. Have you ever heard that? Has the president ever? Is there a presidential task force out there launched by the Biden administration to find a way to deal with this issue? Because this is an issue. No, there isn't. Because if people were widely aware of this, the few people who buy these things as it stands would go, I'm not buying that thing, at least not until they fix whatever the problem is. You can keep it in your garage. That'll help. But you're not going to be able to drive in your garage. Unless you have a really big garage, you're not going to be able to drive in your garage very far. Not that most people have a heated garage, but they're still protected from the elements. But when you go out of your garage, guess what you're in? You're in the elements. Guess what happens then? The battery starts struggling. If you've ever been inside a Tesla, it's very cool. There's a giant... What is, uh, it's essentially an iPad in the dashboard, but is it like an iPad Pro? It's a big one. It's a nice looking cool thing. And uh, the whole dashboard is all lit. It's very space age. And just from an aesthetics point of view, you're like, wow, that's really cool. But it's just a 
drainer of it. The uh, Energizer Bunny probably wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about the dash display on your average Tesla. You're going to have to power those things, and then you're going to need to heat the car. You need to heat the battery, for God's sakes. Nobody thought of this. The Tesla can be a the electric vehicle. I keep calling it Tesla. They're, they're not. It's like the brand name, like a Q-tip. No, it's a cotton swab. No, the Kleenex. No, it's a tissue. Yeah, I get it, but you get it. These cars would be very good if you lived in a warm place where it's warm all the time. They can be very helpful. If you live in Florida, you can traverse the state without much concern. But they're not being hawked to just people in Florida. They're being hawked to everywhere. And they're not being hawked as a good alternative to save on gas as much anymore. They're being hawked as you're a good citizen. You're a good person. You are saving the planet. If you buy one of these things, you're a better person than everybody else. And it appeals to a lot of people's vanity. There is the status symbol of look at the car that I drive. Maybe not so much the Chevy Bolt because you're like, that's kind of the Hyundai of the charge of the electric vehicle world. But if you rock a Tesla, if you come home in a Tesla, people who drive in the neighborhood with a Tesla, they drive a little bit slower through the neighborhood. They want to make sure that everybody sees them on a nice night in the summer. They'll park that Tesla out in the driveway. Normally they keep it in the garage, but they'll leave it in the driveway. Why? Because they want to be seen. Part of owning a Tesla is owning a Tesla. Part of owning one of these other electric vehicles is, is people knowing you get to virtue signal, especially if you live in a liberal area. You get to peacock a little bit about how wonderful you are compared to everybody else and how horrible they are. You're saving the planet. Now you can park your, your Tesla or your rechargeable Volvo or whatever right next to your hate has no home here sign. And you just sit there and you go, oh, this is great. You can cover it in rainbow stickers and the progressive flag and talk about how, you know, there are infinite numbers of genders and to say anything different is a hate crime. Well, those people are screwed in the winter. So they get to have their summer. Everybody gets their moment in the sun, if you will. But it is kind of funny to watch them get their moment in the shade and go, oh, crap. What am I supposed to do with this? At the same time, the secondary market is beginning to, I can't say collapse. It's not collapsing yet, but it's not doing great. If, you're in the, if you had an electric vehicle and you were looking to sell it right now or trade it in, at a time when Hertz just announced that they're going to be selling 20,000 Teslas into the used market, how much value did your car just lose on trade-in? It's, it's, it's more than nothing. I don't know what the number is, but I promise you it is more than nothing. Because 20,000, you think, well, 20,000 in a nation of 330 million, it's not. It's not. But in the grand scheme of things, in the slice of the market that is interested in these electric vehicles, 20,000 is a ton. And they're not selling all, and I don't have 20,000 of them sitting in a, a lot in Ohio somewhere, and they're all for sale right now. They're for sale over the course of the next few months. But they are coming in. The value of other cars, especially non-Teslas, because Tesla is the big dog, has gone down significantly. Why? Because they know that there are going to be 20,000 Teslas. 
used Teslas sitting around there. So the lesser electric vehicles are hemorrhaging value, I'd imagine. And then all these stories, you can see why they're putting out the spin machine, why they're desperate to try to change the narrative. The left wants to force everybody. They want the 100% of cars sold in this country in like 10 years to be electric vehicles. So the reality is creeping in. People are going, this isn't going to work. Not only is that they ridiculously expensive, they suck in the winter and I live in a place in winter. You're going to tell me that I have to spend 50 grand on a car in the future and retrofit my home to have solar panels and windmills and all that and eat that. And you go, well, you get to deduct some things on your taxes. Yet deducting 25% of a $50,000 outlay on your taxes is great if you're rich. But if you're not rich, the $50,000 part is what sticks in your craw, not the amount you get to deduct from your taxes. You got to lay that out. And so as an election approaches, Democrats are scrambling. So you get stories like this in the Washington Post yesterday. The headline, they drove from the Arctic to the North or to the South Pole in an electric car. Like, oh, hey, driving from pole to pole. And there's a picture of him. Chris and Julie Ramsey at the South Pole in a modified Nissan I don't know, A-R-I-Y-A, whatever the hell it is, SUV. They drove across North and South America to Antarctica. Yay. And they're wildly, they're sponsored. They're getting money off this. Nobody's doing it because they just want to. Somebody thought we need some kind of good PR. And so you go, all right, what's this story then? Seems like maybe there's a solution to this problem. So Scottish adventurers, Chris and Julie Ramsey, well, there's a profession, and you put that on your resume, wanted to prove their electric SUV was as rugged and reliable as a conventional car. To do it, they decided to take it on a drive yeah, and cover it like a NASCAR in sponsorship. I'm sure that's all they did. That drive started in March on the frozen waters of the Arctic Circle near the North Pole. It ended in December, about nine months and approximately 20,000 miles later at the South Pole in Antarctica. And you sit there and you, you, do the, you go, wow, that's impressive. But you go, nine months? It doesn't take nine months to drive that distance if you're committed to just driving that distance. But if you're committed to publicity events, then it can take nine months. The Ramsey say the globetrotting expedition is the first of its kind done in an electric vehicle or car of any kind. It took them through a carefully plotted route down North and South America that wound through frozen snowscaped mountain roads and dense cities where they hunted for charging stations along the way, blah, 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 blah. And you go, huh, that sounds interesting. Maybe these things are viable. Snow covered this and that. And then you get down a little bit further. In between driving days, the Ramses either slept inside their car or in a tent pitched on the ice down in Antarctica. The remote location meant that the Ramses ha- couldn't eschew fossil fuels. They recharged their vehicle using a gas power generator. Huh. Wait, wait a second. To make this journey, they carried an electric vehicle. They carried with them a gas power generator. That is buried in this story. Well down in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11. Paragraph 11, they get around to pointing out that they traveled with a gas power generator. Now, don't you want to do that? You know, the Tesla and these electric vehicles, they don't have, you know, the traditional engine. So they have a trunk space in the front and in the back. And you hear that extol. I can go to the grocery store. I can go to this store. I can fit a lot of stuff. There's a lot of cargo capacity in this. Well, maybe some of that cargo capacity should be used up by a gas-powered generator and a gas can. Then the electric vehicle becomes a viable option for people, it would seem. Again, something they don't mention in the commercial, but as a public service announcement to you, dear listener, I thought I'd throw that out there. I want to shift gears a little bit here from the electric vehicle and uh, virtue signaling to a little thing we call consequences, right? Consequences. We're all familiar with consequences. Well, we can't all can't say we're all familiar with consequences. Now, the there's a world being constructed that seems to be expressly for the insulation from consequences for people. And with uh, many Democrats serving as Pope, they come out and they bless everybody and they absolve them of all their sins and, and, and their sins are responsibility. You absolve people of all your response. It's not your fault. It's society's fault. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's some sort of ism or phobia that is making... You don't uh, have a job because society is transphobic. Not because you're a six foot three, two hundred twenty pound dude in a dress. Nope, it's that society is transphobic. You can't find work not because you're a weirdo leftist mutant activist. It's because you've got fourteen pounds of piercings in your face. It's not that. No, no, no. It's society has screwed you over. It's, it's racism. It's sexism. It's this, that, and the other thing. It's triskaidekaphobia. It's whatever it is. Just go ahead. It's it's not your fault. That's the Democrat message. It rings hollow after a while because sooner or later you recognize that you're not getting anywhere, even while somebody is telling you it's not your fault. And you do come to the conclusion like, hey, there's a there's a common denominator in here. I'm always late to job interviews. Maybe that's why I don't have a job. Maybe it's not that everybody interviewing me is cis-normative and uh, some sort of ist or phobe. Maybe it's me that's the problem. Some people will never come to that conclusion, but smart people, smart enough people will, and their lives will improve immeasurably. Well, up in Boston, Boston, up there they have uh, a circumstance that is not all that unsimilar or dissimilar to what is going on around the country. Last time I was in Manhattan, it's got to be two years now. I used to go to New York fairly regularly for, for work, for v- conferences, for meetings, for when my book came out, for when uh, you, you're doing various TV or media appearances and for some weird reason they wanted you in studio. You go to New York and you walk around and I'd always go into a Dwayne Reed because it was convenient. Like, oh, you just need to grab a quick something or other something to drink. There's a Dwayne Reed. It's their version of a CVS or a... Walgreens or whatever there. I think it's actually owned by Walgreens or owns Walgreens, one of the two. But uh, 
you go in there and it's just a convenience store to get stuff. If you're staying in the night, you know, I forgot a toothbrush. You go in there, you buy a toothbrush or whatever it is instead of the horrible ones at the hotels. It's amazing. You pay $300 a night for a hotel room. And they're like, well, if you forget anything, let us know. And I forgot a toothbrush. And they run up a toothbrush that is almost medieval and impossible to use. Like, really? You couldn't buy in bulk? Toothbrushes aren't all that expensive. You couldn't buy in bulk and just have them handy, real ones. But uh, whatever it is, you go into a Duane Reed. Last time I was up there, the city was different. It was changing the last few times I went up there, but it was changed uh, the last time I was up there. The smell of urine on the ground was replaced by the smell of marijuana in the air. It's literally, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and here in Maryland, now that we've legalized marijuana, you still, you come across, I've been in the grocery stores and It's happening more and more frequently. You walk past somebody who's just got this pig pen type of stench around them of pot. Like yesterday, I was in Wegmans and there's like a middle-aged white dude walked past me. Like stunk, like to the point that I turned. I was like, holy crap. Is that that guy actually right now smoking weed? That's how strong it was. That's how pungent it was. Well, New York is like that everywhere. And then there's still, of course, the the hint of urine. You can't get rid of it. You can't completely cover it. But I went into a Dwayne Reed last time I was up there and everything except food was locked up, was behind plexiglass to get conditioner, to get toothpaste, to buy a toy, to buy, you name it, a brush, a hairbrush. It was all you had to ring a bell and somebody would come running. To, well, not running. They, they took their sweet time. Would saunter over to your aisle and go, all right, this will be up at the counter for you. You kind of need a personal shopper. If, you, if you're going in for more than one thing, a bunch of things, you'd kind of need somebody to go with you, an employee to go with you. So they're like, okay, I'll take one of those. I'll take one of those. I'll take one of those. And it becomes kind of hilarious to be perfectly honest with you but i'll take one of these and one of those and they take it up to the counter because you can't be trusted to carry it around not because you're going to sprint out of there like i've got my my toothbrush finally justice i will steal it from no that's not how it works but other people come in with hefty garbage bags and literally fill them up with everything and anything that isn't nailed down and walk out Plain as day, and there's the little Dwayne Reed employee sitting there going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. There's three of them and one of me, and corporate policy is let them take the stuff, and the police aren't going to come and prosecute. Nothing's going to happen. So you just kind of sit there and watch all of the hair dye being swept in, every bit of makeup being swept in. You're like, huh, that's weird. Well, there are consequences to that. I did find it weird, though, just as an aside, that the one thing, because the argument from the left is always, these are poor people. They're in need of the basics of human existence. They can't be blamed. Society has screwed them over because of racism or sexism or homophobia or whatever. Uh, they're just victimhoods. And, and this is, of course, they're going to lash out when they're so oppressed. The food was not locked up. You could have walked out with all the mac and cheese you wanted. Nobody gave a damn. Nobody was stealing the mac and cheese. All the cans of Dinty Moore beef stew and corned beef hash, 
They were there for the taking. If you were in the need in need of life-sustaining food, it was there. Bags of chips, bottles of pop, water, juice, whatever you need. That was all well and good. You were, that was maybe it's covered now. I don't know, but at the time it wasn't. And I thought, well, if people are stealing things because they need to survive, you'd think they would steal the things that they literally need to survive. Whilst hair dye and toenail clippers and uh, you know toothpaste are all nice. Oh, people need not need them, but they they want them. You can go get by quite a long time without them. I would posit that you could survive longer without body wash or conditioner than you could without food. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm going out on a limb there. But I would suspect you can. Yet the food wasn't being stolen. Why? Because a can of ravioli doesn't really have the resale value or the street value that wildly expensive cosmetics do, right? It's not the homeless, the starving, the destitute doing it. Maybe there's a little bit of it, but the people walking in with the duffel bags, that ain't them. Those are the people who are walking in as part of an organized crime racket, either mafia or cartel or some aspiring group of people who then go and sell their stuff on Amazon at a discount or sell their stuff on eBay. And it's never a massive discount. If something's 50 bucks, they aren't selling it for 20 bucks. They should, you know, you think, well, they're going to make it up on volume or they, their overhead is zero. No, they, if it's selling for 20 bucks online, it's either a ripoff, you're never going to get the product, or it is obviously ripped off. If it's lower than the wholesale price, it's obviously ripped off. These people are selling it for 45 bucks if it's for 50 bucks. They're not stupid. If people are willing to pay 50 bucks for something, they're certainly going to pay 45 bucks for it. It's not so out of the realm of possibility that you're selling it for the sale price. So they're making money hand over fist. Amazon and eBay are making money hand over fist, so they don't really want to police that very much. Ignorance is bliss. They bury their heads in the sand. They give their donations overwhelmingly to Democrats. Democrats, politicians who control these cities, aren't going to do anything about it. And everybody thinks it's a victimless crime. It's a victimless crime. Well, again, we go back up to Boston. This is from WBZ, talking about a drugstore up there, a Walgreens that is closing. In fact, they're closing several Walgreens up there for this very reason. The theft has gone rampant. It is not people coming in stealing their arthritis medicine so that they may live in peace, stealing their insulin so that they can afford not to die. No, they've been stealing everything. Now, what you're going to hear is a reporter who doesn't want to talk about that and community activists who don't give a damn with a sense of entitlement. But this is the aftermath. This uh, is the consequence. And it's a real-world consequence. People are suffering. There's a black neighborhood. They're, of course, claiming that it's racism. But it is a victimhood, victimization of black people by black people. They don't want to talk about that. They can't talk about that. It's politically incorrect to talk about that. So you get uh, corporate greed, corporate greed. What about serving the community, et cetera, et cetera? I think they target black and brown communities. I think 
because they get no pushback. But they're now getting pushback. Protesting alongside dozens of other frustrated customers fighting to keep this Walgreens open. Don't we need to have something in the community to help the black, the elderly, the sick? You know what I'm saying? They can't go far. The problem boils down to accessibility, says former Boston NAACP president turned healthcare advocate Michael Curry. The communities where they're closing these pharmacies are communities where people are uh, disparately impacted by disease, you know, two or three times higher rates in cancer, diabetes, heart disease, where life expectancy can be 15, 20 years less. While this isn't the only Walgreens or pharmacy chain set to close location in the coming weeks, Curry says it begs this question. What is your obligation? What is your expectation as a corporate citizen to do what's right for those communities beyond what's right just for your bottom line? Yeah, what's your responsibilities beyond your bottom? None. None and nothing whatsoever. They provide a vital good and service to the neighborhood. And the neighborhood, through the people they elect and uh, through benign neglect, have allowed the business environment to deteriorate to the point that it is no longer worth doing business. You are not going to operate at a loss. There is not a single business in this country that has ever been started and run successfully that was created for the express purpose of employing people. There's no business in this country that has been started and successfully run that was created for the express purpose of providing services to a certain group of people or a geographic location without concern for profit. It just doesn't happen. If there is no profit in it, they're not going to take a loss because, oh, geez, we want to be good corporate citizens. This is a, an insane idea that really perverts your worldview if you really think that some companies are going to operate in the best interest of anything other than its bottom line. That's the existence for it. If you were a shareholder in that, you demand that from the business. Condemn the thievery. Condemn the politicians who don't punish the thievery. But that a business goes, all right, you've created such an environment that it's not worth staying in business to sit there and go, well, what about us? What about you? If you are a, what do you, if you're the former head of the Boston NAACP and now you're a healthcare advocate, well, advocate with the Boston chapter of the NAACP, advocate with the Massachusetts chapter of the NAACP, and then get the national NAACP involved and open up a for-charity pharmacy that operates at a loss to provide people with a drug, or just operates at cost. Start a nonprofit pharmacy chain. Walgreens is not a nonprofit pharmacy chain. Offer only pharmaceuticals, You'd better build the walls really, really thick. You better get some serious security on those doors, maybe two or three doors in. You have a lot of plexiglass that you conduct your business through, and you make sure that that facility is, in, is as impenetrable as Fort Knox because the drugs therein would be enormously valuable on the street, and you can provide a discounted drug at cost to anybody you want. You could solve your own problem. But don't look to a company to solve your problems. 
well, this company's the problem. Well, then how the hell would they solve the problem? If it, but they're not really the problem. The real problem is the people you continually elect, the people like the mayor of Boston who goes, we're not going to prosecute these uh, victimless crimes. I'm pretty sure the people they beat holy hell out of don't look at it as victimless. I'm pretty sure that the owners of the stores that are robbed aren't look, thinking, well, I'm not a victim. I'm just some guy. No victim here. This is the end result. This is the consequence. This is what you get. And to go out there, we're protesting the closing of Walgreens. Why don't you protest the circumstances that the politicians created that caused, that necessitated, that facilitated the closing of the Walgreens? I promise you, if Walgreens could operate there without you know, massive losses, they'd stay there. They like the revenue. But if you're going to allow and empower people to just rip them off blindly and have official policy that if you defend yourself or you take extreme measures to make sure that you are not a victim of crime, you're part of the problem. You're treating everybody like there are people in New York. When you walk into those Dwayne Reeds where everything's behind plexiglass, there are people like the Al Sharpens of the world are complaining. Oh, you're making everybody a suspect. And they are. There. I was a suspect when I was in there because I couldn't. It's not like you walk in. OK, you're good. You're not going to rob us. Here's a key to get into all the content. That's not it. I was treated like a suspect. Why? Because so many people are ripping them off. That they don't care. They don't differentiate. Nobody gets a pass. Everybody is treated like a suspect. Because the suspects, the criminals, the people caught by law, are not treated as guilty or as suspects or anything like that. You could go into a Walgreens, take an armload of stuff in New York, walk out, get arrested, and the one fluke time the police show up and be processed and be back to rob the same Walgreens by the time the lunch crowd is gone. How long are they expected to take that? How much should they be expected to take? Well, nothing, none. You want a different result. Don't look at the end of the problem. Look at the beginning of the problem. The beginning of the problem is on the ballot every year that ends in an even number somewhere. What you do about it is up to you, but you better do something. But complaining and somebody is reacting to a circumstance you helped create gets no sympathy from me. It sucks. You're going to have to take some buses to get your prescriptions filled. It's going to wildly inconvenience some people. Will some people be harmed? Yeah, they will. Well, there's your health care advocate. Find those people and go get their prescriptions for them. Start up that service on a volunteer basis. Solve the problem instead of complaining that somebody else isn't solving your problems. You're not the victim here. You're enabling the perps. Shifting gears out to... California for a second. Adam Schiff, God, I just can't. There's like 40 million people in the state of California. California can't do any better than Adam Schiff. He's more than likely going to be the next senator from the state of California. The uh, The Republicans have offered up apparently Steve Garvey. Remember Steve Garvey, baseball player from the 70s and 80s? Uh, yeah. They have a weird primary out there in California meant to advantage Democrats since there are so many Democrats out there. You can see why the state's going to hell. The top two, it's in 
they don't have partisan primaries for their state offices and uh, for the for any of them it's the top two vote getters it's an open primary anybody can get in it any party whatever and it's republicans versus democrats versus greenies versus whatever it is and the top two vote getters in the primary they then face off in the general election a lot of times it's two democrats facing off Maybe Steve Garvey can crack that. Maybe he can. Maybe things are getting so bad and so many people have left California and they're running a deficit and maybe there are enough people who are mad that the state is paying for illegal aliens' health care and maybe upset that that's including sex change operations so that illegal aliens can come over and just say, oh, I need a sex change operation. You pay it and then they leave. There's no need to prove. You can't, you're not a resident, so you can't prove proof of residency. Maybe some of them will go, all right, we need to try something a little bit different. I doubt it. It wasn't all that long ago that California was a reliably red state. Reagan won it twice. George H.W. Bush won it in 88. Took a three-way race in 80 or 92 for it to change. And then it just went to hell after that. So things change. Not very fast, not fast enough, but... Adam Schiff, as the next senator, is, is more likely than not. The L.A. Times endorsed him because they have no standards. The Democrats are getting behind him because he has no standards. And because, quite frankly, the other candidates who have announced are women and minorities. And for all their bluster about inclusion, celebrating diversity, they usually default to the white guy. They usually re- default to the white guy. Look at the Democratic Party in 2020. Joe Biden, the white guy, the wealthy white guy. Over they had a whole rainbow coalition of people up on that stage. And the Democratic primary voters and the Democratic establishment said, yeah, no, we're going to pass on that. Well, Adam Schiff took to his Twitter account. You want to talk about misinformation and disinformation. Adam Schiff took to his Twitter account the other day on the 14th tweeted out, deliberately stopping Border Patrol agents from rescuing a mother and her two children, resulting in preventable and senseless deaths. This is unimaginably cruel and inhumane. Shame on Governor Abbott and Texas legislatures for their complicity in such a heartbreaking tragedy. You go, my God, what's going on? What happened? There was a story that, of course, the left embraced immediately. They embrace anything that makes Americans look bad. Remember the horse whipping? They're, they're whipping sweet, sweet, nourishing migrants down at the southern. They weren't. It was just a, a different kind of bridle, and it was how they controlled the horses. The people who were doing it were experts. No sweet, sweet, nourishing migrant was whipped at all. In fact, it was all just to steer the horse. That's how they do it. The Biden administration condemned it from the podium. They, The president himself condemned it. And they launched an investigation and they cleared everybody involved. They still punished them. They made them take sensitivity training. They got punished for it. Even after the administration admitted that they'd done nothing wrong, the president of the United States has never once acknowledged this and never apologized. Nobody in the administration has apologized. Even the historic Corinne Jean-Pierre didn't bother going out and apologizing for this. Why? Because how does that help the narrative? If it doesn't help the narrative, they ignore it. So Adam Schiff, the Republicans, they have blood on their hands. And you go to the story. 
In the headline, three migrants drowned near area where Texas had denied entry to federal border agents. And you've heard, you read the story, you find the story, you can find MSNBC on Sunday did with Michael Steele up there, of all people, and Joy Reid. They're all doing this. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe this is horrible and blood on their hands and this is just Republican cult? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. The story as it was, says a woman and two children drowned in the Rio Grande on Friday while trying to enter the U.S. near a section of the southern border where Texas National Guard soldiers have prevented federal border agents from processing and rescuing migrants. They've changed the wording a little bit because new facts have come to be known. The way that the story was told originally, because journalism is dead, is that the people were drowning. The Border Patrol wanted to go and save them, and Texas officials said, you cannot let them drown. They must die. It's a ridiculous story. It's a ridiculous story. On its face, it's stupid. The only way you would believe that story on its face and regurgitate it the way CBS News did, do a whole show on it the way MSNBC did, is if you think the absolute worst of your political opponents and therefore the absolute best of you. You are moral. You are a hero. You are this. You are. And the other side is the problem. Huh. That's weird. You have to think the worst of them and the best of yourself to think that that would even be possible, that people would do such a thing. They have no problem with that. They have no problem with that whatsoever. It's where they live. But you go to the start of this CBS News story and there's an update. It's not even a correction. It's an it's listed as an update. It's a correction that negates the entire purpose of the story being written in the first place, but they call it an update. Because why? Because why not? It's an update. This story and headline were updated to reflect information shared by federal officials with the Supreme Court on Monday, January 15th. In that filing, the Justice Department said that the three migrant drownings had already occurred when Border Patrol requested access to Shelby Park to help other migrants, though it did note that it was, quote, impossible to say what might have happened if Border Patrol had had its former access to the area, end quote. It's impossible. Well, it's impossible to say what would happen had I picked the winning numbers for the lottery. It's impossible to say. It's impossible to say. It's quite possible to say. They weren't there. They weren't there. Now, what's amazing to me is this story lived for a week. This story lived for a week in the Democratic press. And only in a Supreme Court filing from the Justice Department trying to get access to the park that the state of Texas doesn't want them in did the administration talk about this. Did they admit it? Did they bother correcting the record? That means that they knowingly let the lie stand because they found the lie useful, right? They knowingly let the lie stand because they found the lie useful. There's no other way to put it. Hey, there's a lie circulating. We, we know it's a lie. Should we correct the lie? Why would we correct the lie? It makes the Republicans look bad. It makes us look good. No, no, no. Well, we're going to have to correct it sooner or later. So, yeah, so what? 
we'll do it in a court filing and and the news outlets will put updates up there not not corrections not retractions it warrants a correction and a retraction the story was a lie but instead they just went in and tweaked it and said uh you know they were not allowed in the park who knows they might have lived had they been there blah blah, blah. you know where they would have definitely lived if joe biden hadn't invited everybody to come over and try and swim the rio grande right a mom and two kids horrible that they died but if joe biden is calling them over in that stupid game of red rover he's the one with blood on his hands but they don't really care about that. Adam Schiff has not corrected his tweet. Adam Schiff has not retracted his tweet. He's not going to. He's not going to address it. He doesn't give a damn. But if Adam Schiff wants to talk about blood on people's hands, we can play this game. And sadly, we can play this game all day long. We can play this game till the cows come home. Why? Because the sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal aliens that Democrats desperately want to get as many of as possible into the country. Some of them have committed horrible, horrible murders. Let's get in the Wayback Machine to a different time. 2023. Remember that? December 11th, 2023. Eyewitness News, ABC 13 down there in, I believe, in Texas. Motive still unclear after 23-year-old man arrested in murder of Edna High School cheerleader. Authorities confirmed 16-year-old Elizabeth Medina was stabbed to death. The murder suspect was given a $2 million bond. Isn't that lovely? Well, it turns out that the murder suspect, Rafael Gueva Romero, is an illegal alien who came in under the Biden administration. Do you really want to play this blood on their hands? Three people drowning is a horrible tragedy. They were not thrown into the river. There are bridges over the river that they could have easily walked over if they wanted to try to enter the country legally. They chose to try to sneak into the country illegally and drown. Horrible tragedy. Bad series of ideas. Two kids who probably don't know how to swim. You're not going to be able to carry them across a river. It's dumb. All right? Sad, but nobody was there to know that they were drowning. Nobody ignored them. Nobody was blocked. The illegal alien was processed. These illegal aliens who have committed these crimes in the smuggling of human beings, the smuggling of drugs, the the selling of drugs, the murder, the rape, the sexual assault, all they have been processed through the Biden administration. Do the paperwork. You pinky swear that in 10 years you'll show up to court to find out whether or not you can legally stay? Oh, okay, good. Here you go. Here's a cell phone. Keep it for 10 years. Good luck to you. They, of course, throw it away or sell it or whatever. And a 16-year-old cheerleader is murdered. Well, we don't know the motive. Do you really, does the motive really matter? Is there ever a motive for murder? Especially you have a 16-year-old girl where you're like, well, what did he do it for? Oh, okay, yeah, now now it makes perfect sense. $2 million bond? Huh? Is he out? I don't know. I can't see if he's out. But if he did, if he's out, you got to wonder, how did this guy get the money? But you really have to wonder, why in the hell did this guy get a bond at all? 
Dean is a town of nearly 6,000 people, 100 miles southwest of Houston. This 13-year-old girl, this cheerleader is dead because of the Biden administration, because of Adam Schiff, because of the Democratic Party's official policy of an open border. Murdered on December 5th. Adam Schiff has not tweeted about that. Adam Schiff has not said anything about that. The White House has not said anything about this. The White House, in fact, has not been asked about this. They have not been asked about any of it. Anytime this garbage comes up, what are they here? The statistics show that uh, the uh, migrant community commits fewer crimes than the rest of the scumbag Americans who live here. They maybe leave out the scumbag American parts, but you get the argument. That's what they say. They commit fewer crimes, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> the government expressly forbids the, the federal government expressly forbids the collection of data on the immigration status of criminals. They don't want that. It's amazing what you don't find when you're not looking for it, when you refuse people's ability to look for it. Various states, particularly blue states, with heavy illegal alien populations like California and New York are sanctuary states, and they too forbid the collection of data on how many people in their criminal justice system are legal or illegal aliens. They ignore that. Again, you won't find what you refuse to look for. So the idea that they commit fewer crimes than us is something they cannot claim with any certainty. You can't prove it. But more importantly, you can't disprove it, so they get away with it. They just do it. They don't give a damn. But I can say with 100% certainty that every single crime committed by an illegal alien would not have been committed by that illegal alien had that illegal alien not been in the country. Every American victimized by an illegal alien would not have been the victim of that crime if that illegal alien were not in this country. If we had a secure border, if we had a sealed border, if we had a policy that when they interacted with law enforcement, law enforcement told the federal government, told ICE, and they were deported, that's what sanctuary states and cities create. The people who interact with law enforcement, the illegal aliens. How many times have you heard this person has been deported five times? This person has been arrested three different times. I bet you that Rafael Gueva Romero, if he did this, was not the first interaction he ever had with police. Not the first encounter probably in Houston. Certainly not the government. He was processed through the Biden administration. Kate Steinle's murder was well known to police. Not only had he been deported a bunch, he was arrested a bunch of times with drugs. They didn't bother to turn him in. They turned him out. They let him go. Kate Steinle ends up dead. On whose hands is that blood, Adam Schiff? If you want to know the answer find a mirror. Since we're kind of talking about Democrats and screwing things up and everything and, and being wrong about everything, I don't know. Like today, wow, that's so different than usual. Hey, if, I'd stop talking about how they screw things up if they'd stop screwing things up. I'd, that's my end of the... I'll hold up my end of the bargain. They never hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, there's a report 
out of Ohio. Ohio is one. You see this happen all the time. Virginia, I think, just became a constitutional carry state. Other states have become constitutional carry states. Not here in Maryland. They're kind of scrambling because the they tried desperately to ignore the Second Amendment when it comes to handguns. And uh, the courts have said, you can't do that. And they're going, but we want to. And so they're trying to find new ways to do that. You got 5,000 flaming hoops you have to jump through before you can get a, a pistol in this state. But in other states, they're embracing freedom. What a stupid course you have to go through. But anyway, um, Ohio is one of those places where they have instituted constitutional carry, meaning unless you can show cause, unless the state can show cause as to why somebody should not be allowed to carry a firearm, that person can carry a firearm. You don't have to beg the state's permission for it. Well, what do we hear about this all the time from the left? My God, more guns. There's, it's going to be the Wild West. People are going to be shooting. Everybody. It's just going to be nonstop. There's going to be bodies piled up. There's going to be death. It's going to be dismemberment. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. They care very desperately about the. I mean, they don't care about all the illegal guns and people carrying guns illegally in, say, Chicago or in Baltimore, where even if they hadn't killed anybody yet or been caught killing somebody, they find people with drugs, with guns and drugs and everything, and they go, all right, well, we'll plea it down. We're very serious about gun crimes, but if you'll plead to, say, carrying one-third of the drugs that you had, we'll throw out the gun charge, we'll throw out the rest of the things, and you can do six months, three of which will be suspended, you'll really only do six weeks, and we'll call it a day, right? Yeah, you take it so seriously, you, you bargain it away constantly. Spare me. They want to go after the law-abiding. If they cared about people killing each other, they'd care about, you know, all the people killing each other. They'd do something about it. Somebody carrying an illegal gun, shooting it off, trying to kill somebody and missing, probably wasn't aiming for the sidewalk, wasn't aiming for the bus stop, wasn't aiming for the, the stop sign of the parked car. They were more than likely aiming for the person. So if you don't really seriously treat them for carrying an illegal gun, for buying an illegal gun, for having it, and for trying to kill somebody, what they're going to do is improve their aim. And eventually they will kill. Maybe some of them will grow out of it, but eventually they probably will kill it. Nobody really starts off as a psychopathic serial killer. Very few people do. You build up to it. If you don't punish people at the lower rungs of the ladder of crime. They're going to scale the ladder of crime and they're going to do some serious, serious damage to people. Again, that blood drips down and should be on the hands of the people who are holding the ladder, who, dare I say, manufacture that ladder. But to hear the left say it, it's the gun that causes the crime. It's not the person pointing the gun. It's not the person shooting the gun. It's not the person who decides to kill somebody or at least try to kill somebody. No, it is the inanimate object itself. It's the paperweight. That if you have a firearm in your house, to some people, it whispers to them in their sleep, go kill somebody. What are you doing? I exist for one purpose and one purpose only. Violence, go do it. I don't think so. It's a paperweight. It is harmless until a human being picks it up and actively chooses to use it in the commission of a crime. 
then it is not. Well, the crime wave that comes along with constitutional carry, it's weird how it never really manifests itself. Well, now we have official data out of the state of Ohio on this. Not that it will make a difference in blue states. They don't give a damn. They're not going to let the facts stand in the way of a good story. Their argument was never based in reality, so no reality-based argument is ever going to snap them out of it. They don't want you to do it. They are authoritarian fascists, so you don't get to do it. But if you're at all interested in data and you can find a an honest liberal politician. <laughs> Good luck with that. You can ride your unicorn to find this honest liberal politician. You'd be able to tell them about this. One of the issues that has plagued the cities across Ohio, including here in central Ohio, is gun violence. A new study just released is now unearthing if the Buckeye State's constitutional carry law impacted gun violence in cities. We thank you for joining us today for NBC4 at 5. I'm Jared Smalley. And I'm Jennifer Bullock. The study was published today by the Center for Justice Research through a partnership between Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost's office and Bowling Green State University. I remember back on June 13th, the state began allowing citizens to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. The study looked at gun violence in the state's eight largest cities. Six saw less gun crimes after the law changed. The data spans from June 2021 to June 2023. And one of those cities that saw a decrease was the city of Columbus. Before the law, the rate per 1,000 people of crimes was 10.79. It dropped to nearly 9.5%. Other cities that saw decreases are Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, Parma, and Canton. Decreases in crime in six of eight of the big cities in Ohio, including Cleveland. After I thought it was going to be a wild, wild west. I thought it was going to be a nonstop shooting fest. It was just going to be open season and murder everywhere. And that's not the case. It's not the case. Think about it this way. If you are a criminal and you're thinking of robbing somebody, you're thinking of doing something, whatever it is, but you don't know if somebody's carrying a weapon. They, they, you know, if you're going to rob the law-abiding, you can be pretty sure the law-abiding wouldn't be carrying a weapon in a state where you have to jump through the hoops where it's nearly impossible to get a concealed carry permit. But in a state where anybody can carry it, suddenly you have this, hey, wait a second. This person might have a weapon. Concern. Think of it this way. It's a very easy way to put it, and it's something that I uh, I like. It's, it's a very simple analogy. Which do you think deters more home invasions? A sign or burglaries? A sign that says we have uh, whatever, a ring doorbell, we have ADT, or a sticker on the door that says proud member of the NRA? Which one do you think it is? They go, all right, well, there's another house has got a TV in it. Let's go to another house. It's the NRA sticker. Both is, we'll, we got the rig door camera. We got the cameras inside and outside the house, and we'll shoot you. So we'll have very clear night vision, high def footage of your ass getting blown away that we can post on the internet and make money uh, per click on, and uh, you're still not going to get away with anything. I think it's the best of both worlds. But it's that mystery. 
people might be able to defend themselves, that at least gives the criminal pause. And that pause is sometimes, you know, with some of these psychopaths, the best you can hope for. Democrats want to deny you that ability. The Democrats want to deny that concern. A law-abiding citizen doesn't really care if some other law-abiding citizen's carrying a gun. You're never going to know it. It's never going to be an issue. Criminals care whether or not somebody else is carrying a gun. Democrats want to make sure that the criminals can sleep easy at night and operate unabated by fear. Whose side are they on? It ain't yours. I got a couple of more clips I want to play you before we get uh, the heck out of Dodge today. And we're going to start with the secretary. Remember last week, the secretary of defense going into the hospital was kind of a story like, well, it was just miscommunication. It was nobody knew and it wasn't malicious. And nobody's been disciplined for it. Nobody's been there's been nothing, no concern whatsoever. Nobody's been fired. Nobody will be fired. Well, it really wasn't just kind of a oopsie, we forgot, uh, lost chain of command. The 911 call for Secretary Lloyd Austin, remember it went from, it was a routine surgery, like he's having a nose job. He's having a little tummy tuck. And then it was like, oh, yeah, no, he's got, uh, he's got prostate cancer. Like, okay. Okay, we don't necessarily need to know the specific details, but if the guy is sick and unable, unable to do his job for a couple of days, that happens, it happens. You... Uh, you find a way to get around it. You, you mention it. You let people know. You don't have to let them know the gory details. But a cancer diagnosis in the Secretary of Defense ain't nothing, right? It ain't nothing. It's something. The president should have been informed. Now, maybe he didn't. He forgot. We don't know. But to say that, uh, oopsie, you just forgot. We didn't. We weren't trying to hide anything is not backed up by the fact that they tried to hide everything, but also by the 911 call, which now we have the audio of. This is a clip from the 911 call. I don't know who's making the call, but this is called from inside Secretary Austin's home, and it went like this. Can I, can I ask, like, can the ambulance not show up with lights and sirens? Um, we're trying to... Mm-hmm. Remain a, a little subtle. We're trying to remain a little subtle. Can the ambulance kind of back down the alleyway and, uh, you know, see, don't. Can you send one that's not diesel? Actually, could you just send an Uber over? We don't want to draw attention. Now, is it an emergency that requires an ambulance or is it not an emergency that requires an ambulance, right? I mean, for my money, you unless you're trying to hide something, if you're in need of calling an ambulance, you don't give a damn how the ambulance shows up. You're like, drive across the lawn, plow into whatever you want, treat it like it's a game of Grand Theft Auto, plow over, just get here, we need an ambulance as soon as possible. But if you're going, don't tell anybody. If you could quickly, I don't know, throw a tarp over it, maybe if you had like a repair van in the back of the fire station that you could bring over instead... Or if you could send a couple guys over in a car to begin with to pick up the person and the ambulance just slowly drives past the house as they run and shove them in the back without having to stop. So nobody will even suspect that an ambulance was here. I'd very much appreciate it. If you're that concerned, you don't want people to know. 
you don't want you're hiding something. You could say, well, we're trying to we don't want to make it a press spectacle. He's going through. Okay, fine. That's right, I guess. But you're the secretary of defense. You don't get to make these decisions. Part of being a celebrity in Hollywood is that during some of your meals, somebody's going to come over to you and go, can I get an autograph or can I get a picture or whatever? It's rude. It's obnoxious, whatever. But that's the deal. The trade-off is you get millions of dollars. You probably don't have to pay for too much. Stuff is thrown at you. People loan you their yachts and their private yachts, all that other thing, all that other stuff. But the trade-off is... If you're outside the club on a Friday night vomiting all over the place or you get arrested with a prostitute, it's probably going to get written up in the newspaper. That's the deal. That's the trade-off. You know, unless you're the son of the president, then it's totally cool. You can film yourself doing it and everybody will go, this is fake. Nothing here. Which, by the way, the, uh, the government has admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop is real. The Justice Department has finally, remember this, for the 50 different national security agents, they've, uh, it's not real, it's Russian disinformation. Well, in a filing in court this week, the Department of Justice admitted that the laptop was real. From the court filing in August 2019, IRS and FBI, this is from the Justice Department, from Biden's Justice Department, Joe Biden's running around on tape a thousand times. The, the, the laptop, it's, it's all Russian disinformation. It's all Russian disinformation. He knew. He knew. Anything, your son is a prostitute frequenting crack whore uh, that he could forget. Really, of all the things he could be accused of, forgetting a laptop at a uh, repair shop is the least of them. Well, that's beyond the pale. If you'd have told me he'd been murdering you know, Lithuanian prostitutes for the last 20 years. I'd believe that, but forgetting a laptop, that's that's Russian disinformation. The Justice Department, in August 2019, IRS and FBI investigators obtained a search warrant for tax violations for the defendant's Apple iCloud account. In response to that warrant, in September 2019, Apple product backups of data from various of the defendant's electronic devices that he had backed up to his iCloud account, investigators also later came into possession of the defendant's Apple MacBook Pro, which he had left at a computer store. A search warrant was also obtained for a laptop, and the results of the search were largely duplicative of information investigators had already obtained from Apple. Meaning we got the back, we got the information from the iCloud and then we got the laptop and all of that was cool. All that was, it was all the same. And everybody involved was lying. Will there be any mea culpas? Will there be any? No, there won't. There won't be anything. What are the consequences? I told you, I started to show up. Being a liberal means never having to say you're sorry. You are free of consequences. The Pope comes out every day and blesses you. You're now absolved of all, all guilt, all responsibility, all whatever. It's really the only way to explain how it is that in the era of Me Too or in the post-era of Me Too, Bill Clinton can still be a member of the Democratic Party in good standing, fundraising and campaigning for Democrats across the country. He should theoretically, realistically, be somebody with whom every Democrat is embarrassed to have once been associated with, but instead they're still associated with him. They think it's great. 
accused of rape, accused of multiple counts of sexual assault, accused of sexual harassment, of using his position as governor and president to get sexual favors from young women. And here he is right now to endorse me on this campaign stage right now. Bill Clinton, give it up for him. Woohoo! And here comes his wife, too. <laughs> oh, these people, I swear to God, they will not be there's no news organization by the way that will go out and question the 51 former intelligence officials and say wait you lied you're or at a minimum you were wrong rachel maddow will not do an exclusive and extensive monologue come monday when she works again for 30 one day a week for 30 million dollars to not come out and say well i really was or i soiled the sheets and i will buy a new mattress for everybody i was horribly horribly wrong and i'm embarrassed and i apologize there will be none of that there will be none of that the audience will remain blissfully ignorant because it is the echosphere of the left is created expressly for the purpose of keeping the audience blissfully ignorant. That's it. There are more people on the progressive left in this country burning calories, working diligently to make sure information doesn't get out. And it doesn't get out beyond conservative media then there are people doing anything else. They have to be protected. Because once you get information that doesn't jibe with what was there before, with what you've been told, with what everybody has covered their heart and sworn to the flag, going, oh, I swear I'll tell you the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Once you go, well, wait a second, you were maybe not malicious, but even though they were malicious, but you were wrong at least about this. Once you begin to recognize that the bowl cut brigade over at MSNBC, and I'm talking about, you know, their whole primetime lineup has bowl haircuts. Lawrence O'Donnell, Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow, Joy Reid. They've all got the same hairdo. One blonder than the other. That they are wrong. Then they're, they're fallible. And then you look at the evidence of the wrongness that comes out after the wrongness report, and you go, wait a second. Maybe they weren't wrong. Maybe they were in on it. Maybe they were cool with the lie. Maybe they were complicit in the lie. Maybe they perpetuated the lie or even originated part of the lie. Once you start introducing the prospects to the left that they could be wrong, then the house of cards starts to wobble. Once people start questioning things, that they were heretofore not allowed to question, and the whole damn thing could fall apart. What do you do when people start to think for themselves in the hive mind? The left is a hive mind. It comes down from on high, it's disseminated through the media, and the army marches out into the streets to burn, destroy, protest, whatever they have their their signs ready to go, pre-printed, union approved, they're all ready to go. It doesn't matter. It's unthinking. What what do we want? I don't know. When do we want it? Now. We demand justice. For what? It doesn't matter. We do, we're here because we're supposed to be. Mostly from the river to the sea. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. It's just what I was told to chant. You're not dealing with a group that is known for deep thought or introspection or questioning anything. Having a question authority bumper sticker 
on your Prius loses all its meaning when you were told to put it there. And you did, right? So once you introduce the virus of questioning, genuine questioning into the left ecosphere, it falls apart. It risks everything. It can all go to hell. They can't have it. So MSNBC, NBC News, they will, this should be news. It shouldn't. It doesn't have to be stop the press's moment. Lester Holt doesn't have to start off NBC Nightly News tonight with saying, first, a note of correction. Boy, we were wrong about that. We got rolled. And that means that the president lied because that's what it means. Ultimately, the president lied. All of his defenders lied. Everybody lied. They knew this. They knew, they knew it long before this. Or at least they got it wrong. But every news story out there that said this was Russian disinformation, or even if they used the qualifier to get out of jail free card, the Weasley, uh, appears to be or is more than likely Russian disinformation. All that was wrong. A news organization that is at all interested in credibility, that has any decency or employs any people with any decency, would come out and issue a correction. Again, it doesn't have to lead the nightly newscast, but at some point throughout the broadcast, you should probably take 15 seconds or 30 seconds and go, uh, an update today on a story. We, t- we told you this was Russian disinformation, and we widely reported that these 50 former intelligence agencies did blah, 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 blah. But it turns out that it was not the case. We were wrong. We have gone back and corrected every story in print and everything, and we regret the air. And then you just move on. But they won't do that. Because that could plant the seed of original thought and questioning things. And that, again, is kryptonite to the left. Thinking for yourself, original thought and questioning anything is kryptonite to the left. And they can't have it. That is enough for today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's call it a day so that we can reconvene here tomorrow, Friday, and then have ourselves a weekend. That sound good to everybody. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. The weekend effort review, the contests, everything good up there. Support the program. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.